welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Um, we are certainly excited to be here with you today. We are broadcasting live from the exhibit hall floor in the Phoenix Convention Center for the 100th anniversary of the ISM Conference, the Institute of Supply Management. So we're very excited to be here. It's a great atmosphere. We, we had a, uh, a meet and greet last night. We bumped into a lot of terrific people, which you'll hear from later in the week. We're actually broadcasting four shows this week. Today at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, and then one, uh, Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. A whole variety of guests, lots of great information. We're very excited today to have uh, three special guests with us, which we're going to introduce in just a minute. Uh, but I want to bounce over to my co-host, Lou, because my co-host, Lou Weiss, is with me. He's also the show sponsor for Manufacturing Talk Radio from All Metals and Forge Group. Lou, how are you today? Good. I never thought you were going to get to me. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and you're going to have to wind up doing the intros, which will take another five or eight minutes. These people have long titles after their name and lots of initials. Yeah, uh, yeah everything's fine. It's a, it's a great environment. Uh, we're glad to be here. We're glad that uh, ISM and Thomas Ned has invited us to do this uh, for year number two. Uh, actually, we're already planning year three in Indianapolis next year. Tim? Yeah, we're very excited about the show. And we have three people who've been on the show before, and we're really, really excited to have them back. Uh, you know, you've got some guests that just come out very, very well on radio, and these three people do. They know their stuff. Uh, we're going to introduce them one by one, and then I'm going to start with uh, Linda Rogano. Our first guest is Linda Rogano. She's the uh, Director of Media Relations for Thomas Net. Thomas Net is here at the ISM show, at the 100th anniversary show. Linda has been a big supporter of uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio, as has Thomas Net, as has ISM. We're very grateful for that. We also have Kevin Wolf here. Kevin is the general manager of Powell Manufacturing. Kevin's been on the show before as well. Uh, he is really taking a look at today's subject, which is 30 under 30, the rising supply chain stars, uh, from the perspective of someone who's more older than 40. I'll just say that. <laughs> uh, and definitely older than 30. Um, and then we have uh, Wes Whitman. Wes was on the show before. Wes is a sourcing specialist, uh, enterprise products uh, for uh, Wes. What's your company here? I don't see them in my notes. Uh, we are a midstream oil and gas company. Okay, great, great. I would like to give the audience kind of an overview of the 30 Under 30 program, which, by the way, was a smack ship. And so we have Linda here to give us that. Linda, please. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. And I, I do have to say I'm very appreciative to be here on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Um, I wasn't aware that we invited you, but um, I'll certainly take the credit for it. And I do want to tell, this is, this is radio, so not everybody can see, but I'm standing next to um, Tim and Lou, who are wearing bright, bright yellow jackets. Um, so they definitely are standing out. And they're also wearing, so it's the, the color code for Manufacturing Talk Radio is yellow and black. So they are wearing yellow ties, black shirts, Yellow jackets and yellow and black sneakers. I was telling the guys, where do I get one of these jackets? I, I want one. I'm telling you, this is going to be trending on Amazon. People will be wanting to buy this. 
Wow. Next year we'll have a drawing for our uh, guests. That's right. Ah, okay, good, good. We'll count me in on that. All right. Um, I, I do want to just take a step back and tell you a little bit about the program. We're we're so, you know, humbled is probably the word, and I'm looking at Wes um, right now because he's one of our, our rock stars. You know, a year ago we got together with ISM at a uh, – it was actually at a New York function. We were celebrating the New York ISM chapter's 100th anniversary, and we spoke with Tom Derry, and we were talking to a number of the people at ISM and just about issues that were going on in the industry. And we were sharing some research results of a study that we had done at the time, Industry Market Barometer. And the, our survey results showed that um, manufacturing was really facing what we call this perfect storm. And it's the um, this rise of, you know, we've got all these baby boomers. Sorry. Um, I am also a baby boomer. I'm one year into being a baby boomer. I was going to uh-huh. lie about my age and say I'm a Gen X, but I can't lie. Because <laughs> I already told Kevin that I'm over, that I'm 50, and he'll, he'll tell. He'll tell on me. Um, so, see, I just said that on radio, Kevin. Okay. Oh, okay. We, we good. Just, just, just want to duly note that. Okay. Um, <laughs> my husband will be very happy as well. So we got together and we said, you know, we have these research results that are telling us that manufacturers are, you know, they're dominated by baby boomers. And when I say dominated, over 80% of manufacturing is over the age of 50. And now that's not a bad thing, except they have a lot of these, a third of these folks are telling us that they're going to be retiring within the next 10 years. And I think it was like nine out of 10 had no succession plan. So let me repeat that, no succession plan. Further, when we look at the millennial talent within these manufacturing companies, less than 25% were of millennial age. So, and, and further, these manufacturers weren't even doing anything about it. So there were no programs in place to try and get more millennials. And that's scary. So you're looking at an industry where they're, they're leaving, right? Retirees are going to be leaving. We don't have enough people that are in the pipeline. And we need millennials in the pipeline to do that. So here we were. We were you know, crying on each other's shoulders about this over drinks, numerous drinks. And we said, you know, we really ought to do something. And Tom Derry at the time said, you know what, the supply chain is going through the exact same thing. Now, supply chain and manufacturing, as we all know, is really married to each other. Right. And what happens in manufacturing clearly impacts the other. So we started talking. And we said, you know, wouldn't it be great? Because we know that there are young people out there that are doing such cool things and making a difference. Why don't we celebrate them? And why don't we do a 30 under 30? And everybody knows 30 under 30 from Forbes and Fortune and Cranes and you name it. So there's a recognition there. And we said, you know what, let's, let's try. So let's come up with a really easy nomination process, something where we collect some you know, pertinent information, what makes these people stand out, their characteristics, you know, what makes them a rock star. And let's promote the heck out of it and see what we get back. So we did that. And you helped us advertise it at the time. We reached out. We had a lot of support from the supply chain, the manufacturing community. And we just kind of, we crossed our fingers and we said, oh, my God, I hope we get 30 at least. Um, I, I remember the day that we got 30 nominations in, and we all kind of just went, oh, we can do this. But we, instead, we got 225. And that, you know, Excellent. truly humbling, truly humbling. And we sat around. We had a, you know, independent judges who looked at the, the, the nominations and just were blown away. And when, when we look at it, and you're going to see this when Wes does, when he starts talking, it's exciting because we saw a lot of things that stood out among them. And, you know, clearly they were, you know, rising up in their communities and their work communities and doing really cool things um, and just, you know, well beyond their years, well beyond their years of 30. And, but they were also giving back. So one of the things we noticed, that all 30 were doing some kind of volunteer work. And Wes, I'm sure you'll tell us what you're going to be volunteering in, but wonderful programs like Meals on Wheels and, you know, you know, cancer support and just, you know, but they were all doing something and they were giving back. And it's just lots of, you know, it's heartwarming, a lot of returns to family values, certainly, you know, you know, very much entrenched in technology, 
but technology wasn't taking over their lives. And they were very much aware of the surroundings around them and wanting to do good for the world. Okay, So everything that I've just described to you are traits of millennials. Um, and Kevin and I have been on the show before talking about that. So here we are. You know, a year later, we announced the 30 winners. We picked a rock star among the winners with ISM. And yesterday, we had the big opening session with Robert Gates. And we were just blown away. I mean, we were, you know, row three and just seeing this wonderful program come into fruition. I was joined by 26 out of the 30 are here at the ISM show. And just, you know, like I said, humbling to be among such, you know, smart, kind, um, you know, wonderful people. So we are opening up, and, and actually I'll, I can say this more to the end, but we are going to start the nominations this year. We started Wonderful. today, this morning, for the 2015. And Wes, and I've, I've told everybody, all these winners have come up to me. You know, we had a cocktail party last night to celebrate. And when people were thanking me, I made it very clear, the best thing you can do is pay it forward. And I encourage all your listeners out there, at, you know, as the program opens up, pay it forward, and nominate a, a rising star. Where can they uh, go to do the nomination? Oh, let's hold it several times, can we? Go. Th- thomasnet.com slash 30 under 30. thomasnet.com slash 30 under 30. Terrific. Thanks, Linda. I, and I want to jump over to, to Kevin now, because Linda touched on something that's, that's going to be a real challenge for the industry. Here are the numbers. In the next 10 years, 3.5 million gray hairs will retire out. In the next 10 years, 2 million millennials will be ready to move in. We have a 1.5 million headcount gap. Kevin, your company is wrestling with this. How are you resolving? Are you? We're, we're challenged just like anyone else. Um, we, a few years ago, I had seen this becoming an issue. Uh, we have a motorcycle mechanics institute that's close by us, and uh, myself and the owner, uh, we were kind of thinking out of the box and thought if somebody had some mechanical experience, maybe we could train them. So we've been doing that, and we've had a fair amount of success at it. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, my janitors have moved to CNC machining, so I'm not sure. That, uh, you know, we, we see there's people that are interested in it. I think one of the challenges that a lot of the millennials face is that you don't have the things in high school that you used to have, shop classes and, and things like that. Right. Um, I think that's one of the, the biggest things. So how do they get interested in manufacturing? Now, it's your company participate in manufacturing mfgday.com? No, we did not. Okay. We're going to certainly encourage everyone who's listening to open their doors. Day, manufacturingday.com is a day. It's actually the first Friday in October where manufacturers open their doors and arrange to work with local schools to bring in high school students, college students to walk through their facility to kind of have a program of what happens in manufacturing because so much of the impression of manufacturing is that it's dark, dirty, and dangerous. And, and that's not what you're seeing in these Well, no, it's not anymore. Uh, that's one of the issues. Is that's the exact perception of manufacturing. And today, what, with the CNC machines, you're working with computers, you're working with you know a lot of software programming, things like that, that are unforeseen to me because they haven't been exposed to it. 
I'd like to just point out also, additionally, the uh, participants in Manufacturing Day are also career change uh, people who mm -hmm. are going in, looking to go into manufacturing. Uh, the average, I believe, the average income today for a manufacturing individual is about seventy thousand dollars a year uh, nationwide. Is that yeah. is that in, that in keeping with your numbers? Close. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty impressive. So, so when I go to see your place on Wednesday, Kevin, Kevin's giving me a site tour on okay. Wednesday. Does that mean it's going to be all cleaned up? Uh, they better be doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> now, Wes, are you walking around with iPad in hand when you're doing your role? Or uh, tell us a little bit about what you do, how you do it. And I mean, Wes is one of the rising stars, 30 under 30, so we're very excited to have him on the show. Wes, please. Yeah, and I wouldn't say it's quite as, as mobile as walking around with an iPad, but I, we're probably not far from that from that time uh, in my job. You know, my company is a... Uh, is a Fortune 50 oil and gas company. They've been around since the mid to late 60s. So we, um, you know, being in my position, I can even see there's been a, a huge push from a technology standpoint, certainly from a hiring uh, fresh bodies to get in standpoint, because uh, we were behind the times. For it. It, was a, it was a good old boy industry for a very long time. And so uh, just recently, you know, within the last probably five to ten years, I've seen an incredible investment uh, within our company to – Build for the future, whether it's developing internal ERP systems to better manage our payroll processes and our, you know, our um, our purchasing and to kind of assimilate all the functions within the company, or whether it's, you know, developing a more robust supply chain model. There's really been a heavy investment into how we source and procure um, the items that it takes to run our company. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned supply chain and working with uh, Lou, uh, his company, All Metals and Forge Group, is the sponsor of. Manufacturing Talk Radio. I was always familiar with the ISM report that comes out every month because Lou really delves into that. We have Brad Holcomb from the ISM, who's the chair of the uh, manufacturing uh, committee that puts together the report on business and comes out with the PMI number. And I wasn't really as familiar with what supply chain and purchasing meant and how deep it goes into an organization and how far out it goes into not just the United States, but we may be sourcing from anywhere in the world. So it, it's fascinating to see what supply chain and purchasing touch. So, Linda, I, I know we're very excited about starting to work with you on the next round of the 30 under 30. Um, again, supply chain touching all kinds of things. We have Tom Darion tomorrow talking about the mastery model. What is PromiseNet involved with now? Any new hot stuff uh, other than 30 under 30 to, to reach out and touch people that we can help you with? Absolutely. Well, I, I, I would be uh, I would be in trouble, let's just say, if I didn't talk about our platform. Good. So ThomasNet is a product sourcing and supplier discovery platform. It's and for those of you who are baby boomers, may, you may recall the Thomas Register. And in fact, we have an older edition of Thomas Register that Lou keeps trying to take, but our, our people are stopping him. Um, he was caught last night, folks, for those radio listeners trying to take that Thomas Register uh, edition. Um, but we, I mean, we are completely online. I mean, we stopped printing in 2006, and our platform is just amazing. 700,000 companies, 68,000 product categories all sorts of different things, um, and it's all geared toward trying to make somebody, anybody who's in engineering and supply chain to make their life easy. So it's completely free to users, and you can go in and find what you want, and you know you can find if you're interested in finding somebody that it's a diverse supplier, a minority supplier, veteran-owned, woman-owned, 
somebody who's got certification, whether it's ISO 9000 or LEED certification, whatever it might be. But the idea is our goal in life, our mission in life, has always been the same since 1898 when the firm opened its doors. It's to bring buyers and sellers together. And for us, that hasn't changed. So the mission hasn't changed. It's just how we do it has completely been um, revolutionized. I'll throw in a plug for Thomas Nett. This is a very self-serving show. Oh, good. Uh, we have been an advertiser of Thomas Net for decades, and uh, we still are. And uh, you, Thomas Net is one of our lead generators for our company. Oh, so, I, I love so. you, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to position myself for next year's booth. <laughs> uh, I see. And c- could I also just say a plug for for Manufacturing Day? We are it, we work with a company, a couple of a number of different companies that are just wonderful and are doing some very cool things about um, living in the solution and attracting more millennials. Mm-hmm. Um, and tell me if I'm talking too fast because I am from New York. That's all right. Um, I, you know it's hard. Uh, but Karen Norheim, who runs American Crane and Equipment Company, and yep. I believe has been on your show. She Kevin has, knows yeah, her. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and Tracy Tenpenny from Tailored yep. Label Products. They're just two shining examples of companies who don't believe that Manufacturing Day should just be one day a year, but they actually do it on a quarterly basis, if not more, and encourage and really get active in their community. So it's the philosophy of it takes a village, and if we all, all of us, meaning everybody in supply chain, everybody in manufacturing, all of us here, um, make a local footprint on a national issue, then we can do something because it's very hard to just go national. But what, what we do know is that within our community, we can reach out to schools and organizations and, you know, local people. What Kevin does with the Motorcycle Institute is awesome. Um, Kevin's also doing, I'm sure you'll talk about it, all the cool stuff you're doing recruiting outside of your area. Um, these are the kinds of things that we need to be doing and looking at and creating role models. So, so maybe we need to do a 30 under 30 in manufacturing as well. I think we ought to do a 70 over 70. Ah. <laughs> we'll find lots of those candidates, believe me. Yeah. Well, maybe I could win. <laughs> <laughs> only, if I could, only if I could nominate you. Oh, Flattery will get you everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Uh, I have a question. Um, we haven't touched on it yet. We've been talking about the millennials. And one of the things about millennials in, in the broad spectrum, there are people that believe that millennials are uh, not the industrious type, not the studious type, and uh, I think they've heard the word lazy and not particularly aggressive. So let's, let's address that for a minute. And God bless. You set him straight. And I, I'd like to ask Kevin okay. uh, <laughs> that question. Uh, what, what's your perception of it? You, no. You've been dealing with these people. Yes, we see it. We see it both ways. Uh, I have people that come in and interview with us that have no experience that want an extreme amount of money um, just because. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure where that comes from, but then we have other ones that are very humble and come in and, and want to learn and accept what we offer them mm-hmm. and do pretty well with it. So you see both sides of the spectrum on that. One of the problems that we see in uh, our metals company is that in hiring, typically it's, you get one in six. You hire six people, one stays, then you've got to start all over again. You need another individual or two individuals. You have to hire a half a dozen to a dozen people, and at the end of the year, one of them will stay. And it's a very long process to get people to stick with it. 
Uh, do you find that same or similar situation at your manufacturing level? We're pretty well. Uh, the company's a, a very wonderful company. So when we get somebody in, they, they do tend to stay. We don't see a lot of turnover. Um, but it, it's really hard to find those people that are interested in it because of the perception of it. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I think the, the biggest thing is to get the word out, you know, basically saturate the marketplace and, and let people know what manufacturing is, is about. For us, when we're building engine components and things like that, and you get to know that everything we make defies gravity and it goes on an aircraft and carries people. And there's some gratification in sure. it. And like I tell people, I tell the younger people, you can work hard and put in long hours and, and make a living at it, you know, support a family and, and do all that. If, if you treat it like a job, it'll be a job. Um, what is your URL, Kevin, for our listeners? It is www.pal.com. You spell that for our folks? P-O-W-I-L-L. Great. Can I just jump in for a second? Too? Sure. Can I tell the story but uh, Kevin? Because it's just such a wonderful example. Um, Kevin, well, first of all, Kevin and I met on Manufacturing Talk Radio. I was in New York, and he was in um, in his office in, in, in Phoenix, and we were talking about this very subject. And you know, Kevin was being very honest and, and candid about his feelings about millennials, and and some of them were highly negative. And I was on the opposite <laughs> end, you know, Miss Rose Colored Glasses on, being really, really positive. Nothing and, like throwing and, them under the and bus. And so we had some good radio, let's just say, um, which. Which Lou doesn't remember. I don't know. It stayed with me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's so, fine. But Kevin was so gracious, and he called me, and he said, I hope I didn't offend you. And I said, oh, my God, I was going to call you. And, and we've been talking since then, and, and it's really thank you because it's been very eye-opening for us. Um, Kevin's been doing a lot of – I mean, he's, he's the one who's on the front lines here. And one day he called me up, and he said something to the effect of – tell me if I'm paraphrasing this right, but what I remember was Regano – I'm, I'm, I'm bidding on this job with this big company. It's a Fortune 10. I'm not going to say who it is, but it was a big, it's a big company. And, uh, you know, this is like a, it's a game changer for us. We're investing in half a million piece of, uh, half a million dollars into a piece of equipment that we're going to get. And I want this job. We want this job. But I also know on the flip side that if we do get this job, we're going to have to increase our staff, and I'm going to have to hire, you know, certain kinds of mechanics to be able to fulfill in this order. What the heck am I going to do? I said, I don't know. What are you going to do? He said, I'm going to bid on the job, and we're going to figure it out. <laughs> but, but he's doing all sorts of cool things to attract people. You want to maybe talk about a couple of those? Well, I mean, I mean, that's it. It, it really is that. We have state-of-the-art equipment. We, uh, the owners invest every year uh, an exorbitant amount of money in new equipment. And, you know, again, with the Motorcycle Mechanics Institute and just getting the word out with Linda and the show uh, has helped you know, tremendously, but, uh, you know, going to the high schools and, and trying to talk to them, I always say, if I go and take a thousand, I'll probably get one. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, it, it's just, it's a rough, it's a rough deal right now. Wasn't there a manufacturer that did some advertising? Tim, remember that? There was a guy in Atlanta. I was, we were telling you this story. There was a guy in Atlanta that was advertising in, like, the tundra. You know, in in uh, Minnesota. Sorry for those folks who live in Minnesota. But right. Minnesota, Wisconsin, you know, places where it's just brutal cold. Land of the frozen. And, and advertising the fact that, hey, you can come to us. You know, it's, you know, better quality of life, warmer weather, blah, blah, blah. And they were advertising to get people over. And it was working so well that on year two, didn't they have to do some kind of testing? Yeah, they started doing uh, psychological testing for their relocation. The only problem you have, and Linda and I have talked about that, 
you can offer people to move from another state. Right. Um, you can do psychological testing. You can do whatever you want. There's no guarantees in the end. Um, you can write contracts. You can have an employee or you can have someone who is knowing that they have to stay for one or two years and be very disgruntled about that. So that's a very cautious area that you have to work in. Hiring people is uh, always a, a crapshoot. Uh, you never you can hire somebody today and you really don't know them for three, four, five, six months, yeah. and that's when the you know the, the uglies start coming out. And when the uglies start coming out, you have to accept the fact that you might have a bad hire here. Uh, interestingly enough, we do testing also, and uh, this was a number of years ago. Uh, we did um, honesty and ethics testing on top of psychological. And we had uh, one gentleman come in, and he refused to take the honesty test. And uh, I said to myself, that's fine. And I figured that that was just one bad hire that I didn't make. (laughs) Saved yourself. I saved myself. Well, we certainly have. uh, I I don't think the uglies are going to come out on this one. We've talked to uh, Wes Whitney a couple of times on the show, and, couple of times off the air. Wes is a uh, very impressive young man who's doing some terrific stuff with this company. Uh, Wes, tell us a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day basis and, and the kinds of things you have to reach out for and watch and sourcing, you know, to make the whole machinery work. Well, that's a great question. And so my job at Enterprise is I'm a sourcing specialist. So specifically, we are a a subfunction of our supply chain group where we negotiate, implement, manage all of our strategic agreements across the company. So Enterprise spends quite a bit, I'll, I'll spare you the number, but quite a lot on materials and services to make its company run. So our job is to peel back the spend layers and say, where's our biggest opportunity? How can we leverage our spend? What suppliers do we need to be reaching out with that maybe we're not working with currently? So it's a lot of market analytics, a lot of internal spend Um, analytics and then really where the rubber meets the road is putting processes, agreements, systems in place to better manage those spend categories. So whether it's initiating an RFP or a process to reduce spend in the category or if it's even something to drive better value, contract management, all of those kind of fall under the umbrella of our strategic sourcing model. So it's a lot of supplier management. We get out there, we, we, we get into the field, we have a lot of opportunity to go work with our plants and facilities to really see uh, the men and women who are enacting on the contracts that we put in place. So, you know, better understanding upstream and downstream of where our contracts go into place is, is really critical to our success at Enterprise. Okay. Uh, Wes, I have a question for you, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, so I'm setting you up. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> so in your bio, you have a tagline that I'm sure you didn't put in there, and they refer to you as signed, sealed, and delivered. Sure. You want to explain that to us? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it has something to do with uh, signing be, on the dotted be, line. Don't be shy. Uh, it's not because I'm a Stevie Wonder fan, although I am. Uh, it, it, it's probably more to do with the contracts that we put in place and, and the agreements that we enact on. I mean, uh, I take a, I guess I focus in a little bit more on the delivered because that's really what it's all about, right? I, I was telling somebody earlier that was wanting to get into a supply chain career. I said, um, you, you know, the agreements that you put in place aren't worth the paper they're written on if you don't have somebody, whether it's an account rep or somebody that's uh, representing the supplier that you've agreed with, that can go out and enact on those agreements, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you know, putting slick deals on paper, signing and sealing them really mean nothing if you can't deliver the results to both your 
operators and end users as well as your stakeholders to, to show that your efforts are, are worth it. Well, we've had some converse, additional conversations with you, as Tim pointed out. So I'm going to give you my perception of what science sealed and delivered means in terms of uh, you. Sure. Uh, that they give you the job and you get it delivered. And that's my perception of uh, who you are. So thank we thank you for being on the show and telling no, us about your position. You know, I wanted to touch real quickly on the millennial conversation because this is a question that we get asked a lot. And I think this has been a really big part of being involved with Thomas Net Nyson and this 30 Under 30 program. It's kind of shaping the conversation on millennials and, and their emergence into the market as baby boomers begin to retire off. And, and I think Kevin hit the nail on the head. I would be remiss if I said that there that the perception that millennials are not lazy or are not go-getters or don't have the drive and the ethics some of the things that you guys have touched on we would I would be false if I said that that was 100% not the case. I I see it amongst my coworkers, I see it amongst my peers all the time. And I think kind of the place that I've landed on and, and I was actually up at A&M a couple weeks ago and I was talking to a graduating group of supply chain candidates that they've got going through their program and I said, "Let me tell you what people are saying about you coming out because I, I hear it I see it and I said the reason I'm telling you that is and I talked about three things it was that they were lazy that they were disrespectful and that they were entitled wow um, and I said let me uh, the reason I want to tell you that is because you need to understand that one that this happens regularly and there is credence to the, to the reason you can judge a tree by its fruit right and if there's enough fruit out there to say oh, this isn't a good thing then there's a reason to call it out so it's your responsibility not only as graduating supply chain professionals, but also as, you know, as Aggies, as, as people coming out of A&M to represent your university, to represent uh, your generation, and to change uh, this perspective because it's unfortunate. We didn't get the reputation for because of no reason. But then I also think back to baby, the baby boomer generation. When you guys were young, a lot of your parents coming out of, a, you know, a very militarized time of, of uh you know America's history, and, and they probably were saying the same things about you guys. Well, you know, you you weren't around in the 30s and the 40s, and, and you guys are lazy. It's kind of like the Woodstock mentality, and so it, it, it's kind of. I think he gets I can, a round of applause. <laughs> well, I can even, I've, I've caught myself recently, kind of thinking that about some of you know even. I don't know if they're quite the next generation, but, you know, kids who are coming out of university and, and they have all of this academic knowledge and this head knowledge about the industry, but they have no, they have no uh, working knowledge. And I, I can even feel myself kind of falling prey to judging them as, oh, well, you're, you guys don't know what it's like. You haven't been in the workforce right. for five years. And so it's cyclical. So I think it takes, um, I think it takes a commitment on both sides to say, you know what? It's about training up the next generation. For for baby boomers, it's about investing in their legacy. Who who am I going to have come behind me and carry on all the hard work that I've done? Because it's not about stomping my feet and saying, well, you know, you 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 don't deserve the right to do this. And on the flip side of the coin, as millennials, it's about coming in and 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 paying respect to the hard work and the legacy that these people have left. And wanting there's something there's a bit of pride that you have to take on to yourself and say, you know what? It's my duty to keep going and to add to that and to make it better than it was when I got here. And so I think uh, something that I've really appreciated and that Linda has really helped with is, is just kind of shaping the conversation to be less about, well, what's wrong with millennials and more about how are we both going to address the situation here. And, um, and it, it takes effort on our part to change uh, the legacy that we've left or the reputation that we've given ourselves as being lazy or, or disrespectful and, and finding a time to go shake hands and look people in the eye and say, thank you for what you've done. And, and I'd love to learn from you because you have a wealth of knowledge to learn. That is so true. Can I just also say, I mean, millennials, have, or I believe, have already outpaced baby boomers as the largest living generation. I feel bad for those Gen Xers. They're just kind of like caught in the middle there. But 
but that's the truth of it. So if we don't do it, the implications are huge because we have to have that knowledge transfer. So we have to have enough time to have the knowledge transfer to, from one generation to the other so that we can continue to be successful and so that Kevin can you know, continue to uh, get all these wonderful jobs and know that he's going to find people to work. And we're going to talk about Kevin's company when we come back from a quick commercial break. We'll step out and uh, hear from some of the show's sponsors, and we'll be back with you shortly with Manufacturing Talk Radio. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Welcome back to our listeners. I'm Tim Grady, and I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. Uh, we are sitting here with three very special guests. We have uh, Linda Regano from uh, Thomastep. She's the director of media. We have Kevin Wolf from Powell Manufacturing, and we have Wes Whitney and Wes Gear Enterprise Products. That's correct. I just want to. I'm, I'm, I'm used to seeing an Enterprise Products Inc. or an Enterprise Products something. That always throws me. Kevin, we have done a couple of shows on aerospace. We're doing, we've done the Northeast, we've done the Southeast. Uh, I look forward to doing the Southwest show on aerospace. And we'd like to invite you on that show if you would like to share with us a little bit about, because I don't think people quite understand, the unbelievable intricacies of putting together things like jet aircraft engines. It is, uh, it is definitely a very exacting uh, industry. Um, we machine things down to the tenth of a thousand, and in some cases, 15 million. Oh. Um, the engines are very complicated. The components that go in them, the types of material that we deal with, we have to be in uh, air-conditioned facilities uh, because of the temperature change with materials. 
as Lou knows, we get some from him. Um, but we're doing uh, right now. We're working with some material, Sovereign A41, mm-hmm. component that uh, they're putting in the new jet engines. That is the fuel saving part. Hate and, that material. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's moon rock. Um, <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so you know it. It is very exacting. You have to put in your mind that, like I said, it's not a job. It, it's a career. And there are a lot of lives that, that depend on everything that we do. Now, I was very surprised in one of our shows we had on, and just for our listeners to understand, once an aircraft is built, that's not the end. That aircraft could fly for 20, 30, 40 years, so it has to be maintained. But they were talking about microscopic channels that they put in the metal components of the engine so they cool themselves as they spin. Otherwise, the engine would literally melt as you're flying through that is, that is true. You have to cool them. Uh, all of the things that we do, uh, starting out with the uh, raw material, as we machine it, have to go through several different processes, uh, heat treating, x-ray, uh, Magnaflux. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes through it to make sure that there's not any chance of failure. Now, there's some uh, exciting synergy between Kevin and uh, Linda in, in terms of uh, the Thomas Net angle. And I just want to touch on something because we talked with Tom Greco a year ago at this show mm-hmm. when they were relaunching the Thomas Net platform. And the latest Google algorithm is now fashioned towards. Uh, interactive websites. Mm-hmm. And frankly, ThomasNet was, was ahead of that curve in, in one particular area. We always hear about high-tech, high-touch. And everybody says, oh, we're high-tech, high-touch. Now you're really high-tech. you got a high-tech website. There's no touch at all. Except the ThomasNet platform, if you actually had drawings and engineering diagrams and you needed to send them to somebody and say, huh, where do I go for this? The ThomasNet platform has engineers live people, to look at those and help you sort. That's a really cool aspect of Thomas Net. Thanks. That's our brand new service. It's called Custom um, custom Quotes. And for a lot of people, if they're an engineer or if they're maybe a procurement person who's just not familiar with the, uh, you know, the custom world, they can go online and um, click on Custom Quotes, plug in the information, um, and basically we're your shopper. We're your personal shopper. So we have engineers who work on each one and come back to that company with five recommendations based on their input. Now, and all free. Free. Yes, uh, which is terrific. Lou, you had a point about millennials that I think is important to bring up. Uh, we were talking before the break about the millennials and uh, the, the lazy no good except uh, they have the reputation of having. <laughs> and uh, a point comes to mind is that the people that – are saying those things or believing those things are people who have 20, 30, 40, 50 years of experience. So when you get somebody who just came out of school or may have a year or two or three in manufacturing or some business, and you you look at them and and you say, well, he didn't know how to do that. He's terrible. Uh, He can't possibly know how to do that because it took you 50 years, and I use me as an example, 53 years. Uh, it took 50 years plus for me to learn the things that I do, uh, not that it gave me any uh, uh, benefit to start a radio show, but uh, <laughs> that came in, in, a, in, a, in a sleepless night. Uh, but the point is that these people don't have the experience because they don't have the experience, and perhaps 
those who have negative feelings about millennials have to be a bit more tolerant mm-hmm. and more patient. Absolutely. So I, I, I just wanted to get that point out. You know, manufacturers to open up their horizons a little bit and realize that. I mean, we bring people in that, you know, maybe I've never used a tape measure, and it's possible. Uh, yep. You know, the the basic mechanical skills are, are not there because they weren't shown or didn't have the opportunity for exposure to it. So I, I tell our people, you know, we have to start from the beginning. We have to show them how to read a micrometer and calipers and, you know, things like that. So we, yep. we start them slow and, and try to invest in them and hopefully keep them. If you don't do it now, you're going to be doing it in three or four or five years from now, and the, and the work pool is going to be smaller. Yeah, and you're going to be forced to do and it. Either problem. forced to do it or be out of business. Yes. You know, we were talking earlier about compensation is, seems to be on the forefront of most people who are my age in their mind, right? They want to come out of school. They want to make as much money as, as possible. Kevin alluded to the fact that, you know, some of them ask for exorbitant amounts relative to the experience that they have. And I think one opportunity that people who are in manufacturing, people who are in supply chain have to help sell their com- their companies, especially if it's not a company that's invested heavily in a millennial market prior to this is – is highlighting what they can learn, right? Because when I came out of school and when I got into my career early, I, I, I felt, I would never say it, but I felt overwhelmed by my lack of knowledge, by, you know, everyone seemed to have the inside track to how to get this job done or, or, or where to start to find this bit of information. And so manufacturers have a really good opportunity to, to highlight, listen, compensation aside, this is a career. This is, I want to give to you something that you can use for the rest of your, of your life, which is a knowledge base and skill set. I remember... Vividly coming out of school, I'll tell a fun story. Uh, I was meeting with a, a mentor named Flip Flippin, who is an education pioneer. What's his name? Flip, Flip, first name Flip, last name Flippin. <laughs> his first name is actually something, nothing like that, but it, Flip is better, a yeah. much better alternative. So, and it <laughs> sticks in your mind. And he, he was telling me um, this story about uh, a young guy who had asked for a job with his company, and it got time to talk about compensation, and he said, well, I want a signing bonus, and he kind of slid a number across the table, and Flip slid it back to him and said, "You know, have a nice day." And Flip, the point that Flip was making, and the story that he ended up telling me was, when you're coming out of school, and it, for this is really for all the millennials listening, find the best company with the best people that you can, and attach yourself to them because the knowledge and the skills that you acquire from working with the best and the brightest will will be worth. Ten times the compensation that you ever get because you can't take the compensation with you, but you can't take the skill set. So, you know, guys like Kevin and other people who are out there in manufacturing, you know, if if that's who your company is, if that's the DNA of your company, then then younger people full of enthusiasm in, in this millennial generation is going to attach themselves to people that are going places and people that can give them that skill set to really kind of level the playing field, in, you know, in the future moving forward. Sure. You know what I'd love that I hear just as Wes is talking? I mean, Flip is obviously a very wise man, but um, Wes is just a, he's a great example of paying it forward. So he's taking what he's learned and he's paying it forward by speaking to students at, at his alma mater. Um, and I just see him around here, too, talking to the other 30 under 30 winners. And, and I mean that sincerely. You're really an exa- That's why you're a role model. I want to talk to you, Wes, just for a moment about ISM. You're here at the ISM show out in Phoenix, Arizona. This is their 100th anniversary. ISM is a terrific organization. Why are you here? What are you learning? That's a great question. So I'm actually, I've, I've gone through and highlighted a lot of things that, uh, and a lot of topics that I want to go and, and hear more on. But you know, I got involved with ISM because uh, my boss was a member of our local ISM chapter in Houston. Mm-hmm. And 
not having a supply chain background, I needed uh, an arena to come in and, and get more education on the job training. I needed to, to to really learn the language, to be quite honest. So I became involved with my local chapter as well, and it was an opportunity for me to learn about like the Bureau of Labor Statistics and, and the institute or the uh, the manufacturing number that ISM puts out. All these things were were foreign to me. And so mm-hmm. coming in and, and needing that information to to do my job well, I, I quickly attached to ISM. And you know, ISM has a, an incredible reputation of of helping develop supply chain professionals. I think that's their slogan this year is mastery, right? And that's right. really the name of the game is becoming proficient at your craft. And so ISEM invests heavily into um, supplying their members with the knowledge, the skills, the connection, the networks that it takes to, to, to really make their companies run. And that's what supply chain groups do. They make their companies run. And so um, I'm incredibly thankful for ISM as well and all the information and the advertising that they've done with this, pro- uh, this project as well. And, and take a look around. I mean, there are, there are Fortune 100 companies represented here that are mm-hmm. recognizing that ISM can aggregate the best and the brightest in the industry and, and that decision makers come here to get the information that they need to operate their company. So it's an incredible opportunity for me to be involved with them, both at the national and at the local level. Yes, the procurement and supply chain uh, work that ISM does in bringing people up to speed. And you're to be commended, really, on understanding one thing that some millennials not of their of their fault, may not have caught on to as they went through college. Many of us got out of college and we went, oh, thank God, I'm out of college. I don't have to pick up another book. I don't have to hand in another paper. I'm done. And the reality is life is a lifelong learning process. So once you're out of college and then you pick a, a company to be with, you're exactly right to say, now, what do I need to know to be an asset to this company? And then you jumped into ISM and said, great, here's a great way for me to accelerate my learning. So that, that's a huge value to ISM. And we, we are really pleased to be at the ISM show because that's what they do. I mean, if anyone is out there in supply chain and procurement, purchasing, and you're not here, you need to be here next year. And you need to get involved with the local chapters of ISM. And you need to take a look at the the degrees and the uh, proficiencies that they offer offer, and and polish your skills because this is an incredible organization of really terrific professional people to work with. Well, you know, and Linda said it takes a village, and and I would even say to people listening who who either have attended an ISM national conference or – you know, or are affiliated with their local uh, their local chapters. That's really where the rubber meets the road. I mean, I think that people who are part of ISM really, I think they'd be remiss not to invest heavily into their local chapter as well. So I've become much more involved through, actually through this program with my local chapter, and have been afforded some opportunity to get into some leadership roles with them, which is a, a whole nother offshoot of millennials getting involved in something that maybe they hadn't been previously. But the point of that is is it does take a village, and, and to think that you have it figured out or if you know what you need to, to, <laughs> to, to go out and operate is would be foolish. And so being around other successful people that, that understand what it takes, that have learned both the good and the bad side and can give you the map to navigate through the challenges that come with being in the supply chain role um, is, is critical. So I would certainly encourage everybody that if you have an ISM affiliate, um, get involved. It's it, Sometimes it takes some growing pains. It, it, it's not always the uh, the most up-to-date or, or most hip or cool place to be. Uh, but I'll tell you, bringing your talents and bringing your 
your knowledge and your experiences and really just bringing your enthusiasm and being willing to be present is something that can make a huge impact and, and you'll, you'll reap the benefits and see an incredible return on investment down the line. Mm-hmm. Just to make a comment further about what you just said, you know, making yourself obvious to the market uh, by being participating in organizations and uh, do-good projects and so on is very much like uh, Tim and I being here in our yellow and black outfits uh, last night. I wouldn't com- go that far. <laughs> well, well we're actually, we're keeping count on how many people come up to us and make a comment about the yellow, the yellow, the yellow and black outfits. And I, I think we're at around 45 or 50, not even to mention the double takes. So, uh, I mean, last night uh, at the cocktail event, people were, uh, I heard them saying, you know, you got to look for the guys in the yellow jackets. And that's the same kind of thing that you're talking about. The, you got to look for the guys who are putting in the effort to uh, become the, uh, the valuable uh, corporate asset. And uh, I, I congratulate you on your efforts. Thank you. Yeah, I think another piece of the puzzle that you touched on, West, and I'm just going to ask you a question. You give me a quick answer to it. When you were at Texas A&M, not to put Texas A&M or any university down, did they have courses on leadership? I'm certain they did. I, when I got to A&M, I, uh, I asked my friends who were a year ahead of me what which uh, career path – I'm sorry, which uh, degree path had the most girls in it, and <laughs> they said education. And I didn't want to be a teacher, so then they said communication, so that's somehow I ended up there. So if there were leadership training, uh, I missed it. How did that work out for you? (laughs) Not well. I pivoted quickly. Although you are a new dad. He's he's about to be a new dad. That's right. Somehow he's finding the time. I did meet my wife at A&M. She's much smarter and much brighter than I am. And, uh, and well, we'll have to have her on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're expecting our first here in, uh, in September. Oh, so congratulations. Very, very exciting. Well, it's interesting that, that you didn't necessarily run across a leadership training course because that is absolutely critical in this day and age, that the millennials be brought up to speed on some leadership skill sets. And that's part of what ISM offers, uh, along with all the other training that they do. So that you as a new employee or in your first year or two in supply chain and procurement begin to get under your belt some additional learning in the area of leadership. Because I will tell you that when we're in business, and and Lou sees it all the time in his shop, he wishes that people would would rise up as leaders within the organization. Kevin's got a big smile on his face. He's praying for the same thing. Is that right, Kevin? Yes, it is. Really? Wow. I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> go wherever you want to go. We'd love to hear it. Just remember, some of your folks might be listening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Kurt. You know, I, I can only speak from my experience. And, and I started, I didn't know anything when I came into a shop. And uh, thank God for them. They they taught me things. And I probably sent a few of those guys to their grave. But, um, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I... Uh, I, I learned early on where I wanted to go and took an interest in that. And I, you know, we see people that, that just, again, want to have a job. They want to accept the paycheck. Right. And I understand that, that avenue. But <clears throat> I look back and, and say that, you know, what I did, I, I wanted to not just be a laborer. I wanted to go into management. Mm-hmm. I saw managers. I saw things that I said if I would ever got there, I wouldn't do it that way or I would do it that way. 
and I, I worked hard to, to make it there, and I, I think anybody can do that. I, you know, whether they be a, a Gen X or a millennial or any of them, uh, it's all by experience. And the more you learn, the more of an asset you are to the company. Uh, you can stop at any point and say, "I'm a machinist," or "I'm a purchasing agent," or whatever, whatever you want to do. I, I just think the opportunities are unlimited in this industry. I, I do too. I, I hearken all the way back to some uh, uh, comments that some uh, entrepreneurs that who became very successful business people uh, made. Charles Schwab being one of them, and his comment was about thinking. He said, "You know, thinking is the hardest work there is. That's probably why so few people do it." <laughs> <laughs> and and he's, he's absolutely right. To get people today to <clears throat> excuse me, sit down and think through problem-solving areas and begin to reach out. And I want to, you know, I'm, I'm plugging ISM heavily because I really believe in what they're doing. One of the things that you experience at the show is the powerful networking. And you saw it, you know, we're, we're trying to do it in microcosm here with Manufacturing Talk Radio, and, and Kevin and Linda talked back and forth about business issues. And way back when Lou and I were youngsters, there was something called a Rolodex. And Rolodex had little cards in it, and you flipped through it, and when somebody said, oh, gee, how do I solve this? Who do I go to? Who do I ask? Somebody went to their Rolodex. I've heard of these. I've heard of these. Uh, <laughs> Never saw one. <laughs> one day I'll see them in a museum. Exactly. It'll be a glass case that, steal, that Lou's going to try and steal. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be in the Smithsonian. I'm sure it's already there. But that's really what these events are all about, and I encourage millennials, as I would any business professional, to begin to develop your network of people, who you know and who knows you. And it's not about climbing the corporate ladder. It's about having resources. People are a library, and the broader your library, not just of books, but of people, is incredibly valued. Another value of ISM, certainly another value of ThomasNet, of all your business associates. So that's another thing to consider uh, for next year's conference or your local chapter. Um, as we begin to roll to the last couple of minutes of the show, um, Linda, any additional things you want to share about ThomasNet, ISM, and, and particularly about, you know, plug the 30 under 30 again. It's been a terrific program, and we want to help it every way we can going forward. Oh, thank you. Thank you, and you, you've been awesome. Um, you know, Today, we are opening up the nominations for the next one, so I'm really encouraging people to go to www.thomasnet.com slash 30 into 30 and nominate somebody that you know, pay it forward. Um, that's the best, you know, the best thing that you can do. I will say um, one of the um, – at the opening yesterday, Robert uh, Gates spoke, mm -hmm. and he was just terrific. And he said – he talked a couple of things about leadership. He said a, a true leader – is somebody who surrounds himself with people who are experts and and then has the the uh, foresight to listen to them, yeah. You know, and to you know, and the humility to be able to do that. Somebody who's going to to do that, and I and I think our program and, and Thomas Dent being involved in it is you know we feel humbled by the people that we're seeing. We're trying to help the industry. This is the the best way we can do is really be a, sp a spokesperson, um, and you know we're just going to continue to do what we're doing. Great. Uh, Wes obviously has made a very key statement here. He said his wife was smarter and brighter than he is. One of the things Smart I want, man. Uh, yeah, for a number of reasons, but one of the things I want millennials to understand and learn it now because it took a lot of us gray hairs a longer time to learn it is trying to be the smartest guy in the room isn't the smartest thing to do. 
surrounding yourself with the smartest people you can get to, men and women, that's the smartest thing to do. Wes, I'm sure you're experiencing that because you got yourself a really bright, smart wife. Absolutely. And I I couldn't add anything to that if I tried. You you, you guys hit the nail on the head, and I think Robert Gates said it perfectly. I mean, the, the best investment you can make in your career is keeping good company. And mm-hmm. I've always said that relationships are um, your greatest currency. So yes. knowing who to talk to and, and surrounding yourself with the kind of people that will challenge you, that will push you, and that can think like you like you addressed earlier is, is what it takes to be successful. Kevin, uh, we are certainly going to encourage you and reach out to you for our Southwest Aerospace show. We'd love to have you on. Love to be part of it. We certainly have appreciated having you on the show uh, today again. Thank you. Like three or four times. He's a serial guest. (laughs) And I I suspect I am too. After your fifth show, you get the jacket. That's what they told you. Five shows and you get a jacket. (laughs) You're all all close. Lou, anything you want to share with our listeners about this wonderful ISM event that we're at that we get the broadcast from? It's wonderful being here. And uh, we've met some interesting people last night. Uh, oh, last wow. night was just a kaleidoscope of uh, personal experiences. It was. Um, and we were there for several hours, and uh, the walk back to the hotel was in- interesting also. But uh, <laughs> oh, Did you get lost, too? We got lost, and uh, I wound up dancing with a homeless man on the street, and, you know, we... Oh. we it was a fun night. Welcome to Phoenix. Uh, and, and Jan, I did say it was a homeless man. Um, uh, it, it's fun being uh, doing this, and uh, Thomas Ned has been uh, very cordial to us and very supportive, and I thank you, Linda. Uh, and Kevin, uh, it's great having you on, and uh, we're looking forward to be, for you to be on our uh, Aerospace Number 3 show. Uh, which we don't have a date for yet, but we will. And Wes, uh, just want to congratulate you, and uh, you're on the right track, and you, you got it all going for you. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can certainly follow us uh, on Twitter. We can be found on Facebook. If uh, after the show, you if you only heard part of the show, or if somebody says, hey, did you hear Manufacturing Talk Radio? You go, ah, oh, nuts, I missed it. Well, you didn't miss it. Because it's a podcast, and you can find it on Podbean, you can find it on iTunes, and you can find it at mfgtalkradio.com. All of our previous shows are listed there. Please feel free to go there and listen to any of the previous shows. Amazingly enough, we, we uh, take a look at who's listening to our previous shows, and we have people listening to the very first show we broadcast back in 2013. So it's kind of fun to see that the information that we're sharing with the manufacturing industry has real value. We encourage you to listen, and we thank you for listening today to Manufacturing Talk Radio. I guess we still have 90 seconds to go as we're reminded uh, by our, our English uh, uh, assistant there. Uh, <laughs> so uh, occasionally we uh, have somebody who steps into the show live from the outside, and that was her. Uh, so we want to welcome, I uh, want to encourage everyone, by the way, to listen to tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, we have another show. Wednesday, we have another show at 1. And we have another show at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday. Now, we're going to be talking with Tom Derry and a couple of others. So come back to us, and we'll be back with Manufacturing Talk Radio tomorrow. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast 
each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.